Caputo and the radio voice of the Detroit Tigers, Dan Dickerson. Fly ball deep left field. On Tigers Radio 97.1, the ticket. Hey, it's great to be with you. What's up, Dan? Another week, another baseball discussion show. And uh, Let's go. it's 715. <laughs> we'll be joined by A.J. Hintz, the Tigers manager. So what's up, man? Hey, White Sox made a trade. Whoa. Holy moly. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always very leery because if you go back over every winter of who wins the winter, <laughs> it's rarely the team that actually goes on to do anything the next year. I think the Mets won it like eight consecutive years, about 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, didn't really lead to a whole lot. Uh, the White Sox have had an impressive, <laughs> impressive winter. And uh, man, the money they spent on Liam Hendricks. I, 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 I saw the headline. I'm like, that can't be right. Three years, $54 million. So that's a powerhouse they put together, and it's uh, no, I don't think there's any question they're the team to beat right now in the Central. Well, they've added uh, Lance Lynn, a starting pitcher. Uh, they've added a, you know, a veteran player who's been through all the, the different things, a good outfielder uh, in Eaton. Now uh, they've got – he's one of the premier closers in all of baseball. I mean, strikeout rate, 139 uh, per nine innings, something ridiculous like that. He's, you know, he's he's a piece that'll be really, really uh, well used, I would think, by Tony Larusa, who I would think, you know, given his background, uh, would like uh, to have a traditional closer to put out there one, two, three in the ninth inning. And and you know, and that's recognizing that Alex Colomay didn't do a bad job. No, <laughs> I mean that guy. If I'm Cutter, 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 and terrific the last two years for the White Sox. And I think Tony LaRusso is licking his chops because he's got some big arms in that bullpen, and he already had a closer in Colome. Now it's going to be Liam Hendricks, and he's going to be able to do just what he loves to do, play the matchups, even with a three-batter minimum. Uh, I think he's going to have a blast with this bullpen. And then, like you said, there's a lot of strengths on this team from the rotation to the lineup. Yeah, and you know they're in the Tigers division. Uh, you see him a lot. I saw him a lot last year. And uh, they really, after a while, you know, Tigers pitching got completely overwhelmed by that lineup. So, you know, they may be the best team in the American League. Uh, They've been active this offseason. But it's been an offseason, Dan, not a lot of activity. You know, the Tigers with a couple moves, uh, getting Urena and uh, uh, Grossman, uh, have actually made more moves than most teams other than, you know, the Mets with what they've done right. in the offseason. Mets, San Diego, White and, Sox and White have all Sox. been quite active. Yeah. I mean, when you think that Robbie Grossman has gotten the biggest contract, think about this, the biggest contract for any free agent outfielder. Yeah. I mean, at $10 million. <laughs> yeah, two years, $10 million. That's astounding, and that tells you how cold the market is. And that's why I still think, as we look ahead to spring training, which, by the way, this, this did not get a, a ton of attention, at least as much as I thought it might. You know, the fact that many are now reporting that Rob Manfred has sent a memo to all 30 teams saying expect a full season, expect to uh, start the season on time and spring training on time. Obviously, things can change, but we're, if the, if that's the word now at the height of this pandemic, it has never been worse in terms of the average number of daily cases. Right. That's I mean, again, that's good <laughs> for baseball. Obviously, it is still very you have to remember what we are doing playing in a pandemic. But that is the the good news, I think, of the week, that we will be starting on time playing 162 games. Uh, and think of what Alabila said, and that's why I still think that another starting pitcher or two, if you wait 
and this isn't what he said, but he had a list of 52 pitchers that they would be interested in. 40 are still out there. Right. No reason not to wait, and you might get a real bargain. There are some good arms out there, and I think one of them they'll be looking at tomorrow, Corey Kluber. Injury history gives you a pause, but Corey Kluber is going to throw tomorrow, I believe, for a bunch of major league teams, including the Tigers. Yeah. And uh, I would think somebody might offer him probably a multi-year deal, and the Tigers might not be willing to do that. But uh, there, there are some arms out there, and it'd be a surprise if, if they didn't add an arm, because as we talked about with Al, this is going to be a year where you're going to have to get creative in managing through 162 games, which means roughly 1,450 innings. Well, does that mean a six-man rotation? Uh, would the Tigers go to the way of uh, uh, Tampa, you know, where guys are really bullpen heavy? Uh, you, you know, I, people look at that, and Oakland's done it too. And uh, you look Bob Melvin and Cashman, or Kevin Cash, they've been the, uh, uh, you know, manager of the year types for the last couple of years because of what they've done with analytics, and both teams have done a lot of that. Uh, but in order to do that, you know, where you're, you know, maybe have an opener and pitch two innings and then you bring a guy in for three, and you, you have to have pitchers who are capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. And you have to have a lot of depth in your system because pitchers eventually, evident, uh, uh, ultimately, yeah. break down at some point. Right. And you know, I don't know how Tampa does it. I really don't. But they just find guys. They're you know, amazing. They're, it's just it's incredible how they find guys who can fit these specific roles. Even the Tampa guys that we talked with, I mean, the people who follow the team closely, Pat, would tell us, you know, in year two of their experiment of using the opener quite a bit. And there's both bullpenning and openers, and they would do both. I mean, they're two different things. But they thought that, you know, this really can't. Remember, it was born out of necessity because of injury, but they thought it, it can't possibly continue to be a success in years two and three. Well, it has been. I think even they've been amazed. You know, it's like year after year they find somebody. You know, Gregory Soto last year, you know, it was, it was very enlightening to see Gregory Soto throw that well. and mm-hmm. he, he commanded the baseball. And he wasn't, you know, highly regarded prospect or something. He just kind of came out of nowhere. He wasn't really able to sustain it. And, you know, we'll see whether he's able to do that moving forward. But it was like, wow, look at the Tampa finds guys like that all the time. All the time. All the time. I mean, they just <laughs> pop up. They'll sign some guy, you know, who, you know, to a minor league contract, invite him to camp. And next thing you know, he's throwing 70 quality innings out of the bullpen. <laughs> they do it over and over again. It's just, it's incredible. And so to make a long story short, if you're going to do that, you have to have the pieces to do that. Would it be more pertinent to go to a six man rotation? and do it that way. I think the Tigers have a couple pieces, like Daniel Norris. I think Michael Fulmer would be good in that role. But how many pieces do they have, you know, in terms of the depth? You have to. Last year, Alexander gave him some innings like that. I mentioned Soto. You know, uh, Buck Farmer can pitch in any type of situation, as we've seen. You know, he'll grind it out. But they don't have that many guys that are, it's apparent that that's their specific role, in my opinion. Right, and I, I think it's it's worth the uh, you know thinking about some of the things Al said last week about it. you're going to have to get creative in a six man rotation and think about what you're trying to do. You're trying to develop Mize, Scooble, Manning as not five inning guys, even though the trend in baseball I know is going towards shorter and shorter starts. Right. But you drafted these guys and you're developing these guys to be top of the rotation six, seven, 
eight-inning guys. Right. Whether it's on the level of a Justin Verlander, yeah, probably not. But I, but you should be able to develop still guys who go six and seven innings with regularity. No, you need a couple guys and like that. You, you definitely do. do. You really do. There's no question about it. Every manager still wants that, even, Absolutely. Though, even Tampa Bay. Yes. And you can't do So I'm thinking this year might be a year when you're doing a lot of piggyback starts. Well, you can't develop those guys, figure out how to get through a lineup a third time if they're doing a lot of piggyback starts. Yeah. You might do that with Alexander and Norris. But you're not developing them to be six and seven inning guys. I mean, that's like you said, maybe that's their role. But that's why I think the six man rotation to spread out the innings and also allow these guys to learn how to navigate a lineup a third time. Uh, those are really important things to try to accomplish this year while you're keeping an extremely close eye on those innings. And if you missed the conversation with Al, it sounds like, don't you think, Pat, that they'll be able to at least approach where they were in 2019, 110. 120 innings, while understanding that every individual is different, they'll be keeping a very close eye on them. Oh, for sure. Uh, Manning, uh, in particular, uh, obviously his arm wasn't, everything wasn't in sync. Uh, clearly the layoff between spring training, uh, that last, yeah. I believe it was his last outing in the big league uh, camp against the Yankees, he had 100 miles an hour. And the gun was accurate that day. Oh, there was he, no gun or anything like that. people away. Uh, Gary Cole threw 98 because Mickey hit a home run off him, yep. a 98-mile-hour fastball. And uh, he just he got mad after the first inning where he gave up some hits, and he just started gassing it. I'd never seen him hit 100, you know, watching him pitch in Erie. Uh, and uh, seeing him in West Michigan before that with, uh, you know, I watched pretty much every one of his outings uh, at those two levels. And... Um, uh, he was, you know, he was, and then when he got to the the camp, uh, he was, you know, ninety four. He he had to come out of one of his starts, you know, uh, that he had, and then he had an injury issue. They shut him down early, but his upside is tremendous. I don't know how, and he's shown some durability to stay through it. Uh, Scooble, we've seen him in short snippets, you know. I mean, he was brilliant at Erie. I mean, it was unbelievable. Uh, how much? How Almost good his two stuff strikeouts was. an inning, and it was on his stuff. Innings. His stuff. I, I've never. Well, it's hyperbole, but his stuff was. I don't know how to describe it, man. But he throws on a high slant downwards plane. He was throwing ninety six, ninety seven, and his slider just had this bend in it, and it would bend late. It would come down that you know the the pitch tunnel late, and then bend. They couldn't touch it. The, the, the double A hitters had no chance. All right, he fell behind in the count a little bit too much and was able to get away with it. He didn't throw as well in the major leagues as he did during that 15 innings, as well as he threw. I mean, he <laughs> threw pretty well. So his upside's extraordinary. And with Casey Mize, I think it's a matter of how much durability is he going to have? Last year was just an odd year. It's hard to mm, tell. It really is. But he's had two years uh, at Auburn his last year and his first year uh, in uh, pro ball where they actually send him out for an extended period. And he threw real well out of the, you know, the first 50 innings where his fastball was very firm and, you know, velocity, and it tended to go down a little bit uh, after those certain amount of innings. So I don't know where it's going to be with him and that fastball. And I think the one thing that we learned about him last year uh, was that he can't just throw his splitter up there. You know, I mean, major right. league hitters recognize it and everything. It has to be set up by pretty good fastball, you know, that he, you know, pierces the zone in a spot where it's not going to get tattooed. You know, you, you can't, he, he doesn't throw a fastball that he can throw through the middle of the zone 
especially against the team like the White Sox, and get away <laughs> with it. You know, I mean, their eyes will light up. You know, Major League hitters a lot different. So it's a learning process for him, and they've got to figure out, and, and you know, the pitching coaches and everybody can tell you a lot more about it than, than what I can, where he's able to stay behind the ball for an extended period of time and throw a little firmer and more accurately. And if he does that, everything else will kind of fall in place with him. Yeah, and, and he got predictable with the use of his fastball and his splitter, and that's why the splitter really was not a weapon. Right. After that first start when he had no walk, seven strikeouts, including lots of swings and misses on the splitter, uh, he almost got no swings and misses the rest of the way. But, again, that's the learning curve, and there's nobody more driven to figure out what he can do with what he has than Casey Mize. And this coaching staff, I'm pretty sure, has some ideas what to do. Yeah. But, Dan, it's time for us to stop talking because the, the person everybody really wants to hear from, <laughs> A.J. Hintz, the Tigers manager, is coming up next. This is Tiger Talk at 97 won the ticket. Tiger Talk. Here's Pat Caputo and Dan Dickerson. We're joined now by Tigers manager, A.J. Hinch. How are you, A.J.? I'm doing great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and uh, everybody uh, in your family and everybody out there, Tiger fans, the the entire world here. <laughs> I think we're all happy to see a new year. Um, this year you come in, you, you've had a while to absorb being here, to look at what you have in great detail. And what are your expectations for this year? Obviously, player development is very important, but how would you like to see the team perform? What is your goal immediately for this year? Yeah, you know, I, I've I have had a lot of chance to to get to know a lot of a lot of people in the organization. Um, you know, everyone's opened their arms to me when I when I came on board, and then I've I've spent a lot of time you know interacting with our players and our building the new coaching staff, talking to our player development group, our front office, and you know, to a to a man, they're all they're all talking about how uh, they're looking forward to get, you know getting to better times. I think I think what happens. Being the new guy here, you know, I don't want to make too many rash decisions or too many big predictions, but what I can assure, you know, our fans is that our mentality is going to change. We, we have to have an expect, expectation to win uh, on a daily basis, and then ultimately we need to put a lot of wins together and, and get this, this organization back into the, you know, into the area of, 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 of Major League Baseball where we belong. And with the history of this franchise, with the winning that this fan base has seen, uh, those are obviously questions that I'm going to have to answer on a daily basis with our, with the, you know, with what our expectations are. But we show up to the ballpark ready to win. We, we, we certainly have to do things better across the board. I'm well aware of the struggles that have happened, but I'm not carrying the baggage of the last few years uh, of, of rebuilding and reshaping and, and, and maybe some of the up and down guys that have come up through the minors. Like I'm, I'm here to establish a winning culture and, and get the most out of the players, and that, that's what I'm committed to. You had to do that in Houston, A.J. When, when, can you usually see it? In other words, see all the things you've been talking about? I know you've had a lot of conversations with players this winter. Start to see it take root. Can you usually get a sense of, of when they're really absorbing what you're saying about a, a winning culture and thinking about winning this day and not thinking about anything else? Yeah, I think I think you can hear it in the players' voices now, and and then I think the big test is when you get on the field, and the things that you're going to have to do differently outside your comfort zone a little bit to to do that. I mean, everybody in the in the winter. I mean, this is the time where we talk about the winners of the off season and who's signing who and who's trading for who, and we make a lot of declarations, you know, and a lot of commitments. Now, the real commitment comes when you get on the field and you start having to do things, you know, differently, and that might be something 
very small is playing the defense a little shallower to take away some of those those bloop hits and you have to risk a little bit of the power in a big ballpark and that might be pretty uncomfortable for Jacoby Jones or uh, you know or Victor Reyes or Robbie Grossman now our new addition um, you know but you know, on the near field you know how we're going to do our shifting the, the pitching staff how we're going to utilize um, you know our our, our pitches uh, more effectively there may be a comfortable pitch for a you know Casey Mize or a Michael Fulmer that they've been using over and over again, but maybe Chris Fetter's found a different way to use their arsenal. That's going to be the true test on, on whether we've actually, are we willing to walk out on that plank, do things a little differently, um, you know, carry ourselves with a little swagger with English D on our chest and, and, and stand up for ourselves against the competition. I, I hear it in the voices now. I see what Paredes has done in Mexico, what Candelario has been in the playoffs, Cisnero and Soto are pitching great in the Dominican Winter League. You know, when you get to the, the team together, can you feed off that energy and, and make that commitment to one another that uh, we're going to demand better times around here? Uh, AJ, you come from an organization that uh, obviously was deeply into analytics. We had a situation in the World Series this year where Snell is just going great guns and they pulled him out. And, uh, you know, everybody's blaming analytics for it. If you were in that spot, would you have taken Snell out based on your <laughs> well, analytics background? I, I was in that spot in 2019, and that, that's an old wound of, of pulling Zach Greinke in the in the seventh inning um, of Game Seven of the World Series. And I and I think, you know, I, I you know obviously Kevin Cash, one of my one of my close friends right. in the industry, one of one of my favorite managers across baseball. I mean, he's managing his team to try to win. He's not he's not doing anything but that. Right. Um, obviously, we saw how it worked out. My my question. Is always to, to, to fans, and it's always a great debate. And I understand. I do it in football and golf and, and basketball and sports. <laughs> I watch. It's like you know we wait for the result before we really, really make our opinion known. <laughs> as fans. You know, and I, and I totally get it. I, I and I empathize with the with the with the, with the fans. But um, if it had worked out the other way, and Nick Anderson comes in and um, and 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 does his does his part, and all of a sudden they throw it to that bullpen that's been nasty all year. You know, Cash is, is considered, you know, a, a strategist. And right. instead, it doesn't work out. And now we, you know, live in, in forever. I'm going to have to answer questions about World Series decisions and, um, you know, forever. And I love that about sports. I, you know, obviously, I, I want to balance, you know, analytics in my stomach and information that's there. I mean, we're, the sport is being driven more and more into the numbers. And, and, and they're right. And it's, it's the right way to do things on so many levels. But it's, it's not perfect, just like anything else in, in anything that you do that, that with analytics involved. And you, you have to know your players. You know, I say this all the time about players. There's, there's going to be a time where the numbers are telling you to play a certain guy uh, against the pitcher because maybe he's got a good swing path and that's where the guy throws the pitches and, and he's got history with them. But I know in my clubhouse that he's not feeling it. And I have to make those decisions as a, as a, as a personal relationship with my with my team and not so much by numbers. So you'll see a balance for me. There are certain things I, I'm steadfast about when it comes to where I play our defense or I hate the intentional walk and I, and I don't, I don't love the sacrifice, but there's that's kind of analytically minded manager, but right. um, I'm not going to lose grasp of the people part of this job. And that's, that's the balance that I want to bring to this position. So please second guess like you normally would, but just maybe write it down on a little piece of paper before the next pitch is thrown. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I, you know, as a manager, and I, gosh, I mean, I tell you, I love the passion of fans. And, and, and by the time that they're second guessing me on, 
perhaps your radio show or somebody else's radio show, they they are. Uh, I've already second and third guessed myself, and I'm probably not <laughs> sleeping that night. So just know that even though you make a decision you believe in that it doesn't work out, I'm kicking myself more than you're kicking me. <laughs> Robbie Grossman, you mentioned Robbie Grossman, one of the two moves the Tigers have made. Real quickly, when you think about the 2016 Houston Astros, 30 strikeouts away from leading the American League in strikeouts on the hitting side. Uh, next year, you added some key veterans, McCann and Beltron and uh, Bregman, full-time player for the first time. Gurriel became a full-time player for the first time. And your strikeouts dropped to the bottom of the American League. Robbie Grossman's strength, obviously, is working a good at-bat. Is that the kind of thing that a hitter like that can help with a lineup, that veteran presence, to help turn around what has obviously been a problem for Tigers hitters in recent years? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think his style of play can rub off. I think his work, he's like kind of brings his lunch bill to work mentality and, 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 you know, puts his head down and does his work. And, you know, he's graduated into that more, more veteran style player. I mean, luckily with Miggy around, he's not going to have to feel like too much of a veteran. Like this is Miggy's team and he's going <laughs> to, he's going to obviously be a big presence, but Robbie does, does has never gives away at bats. He, he's, you know, obviously good on both sides. He's figured himself out on how to, continue to draw walks, cut the strikeout rate down, develop a little bit of power. Um, he's a grinder. I mean, it's the city's going to really love the way he plays. And, and, and I think for us as, a, as an example of how we're going to change the mindset, we also need to change our production. And the big strikeout, big home run um, is a way that you can win. There are, there are teams that can do that. It's just not the only way to win. And we need to find a little more balance in our lineup. And hopefully, you know, a young Willie Castro who we're excited about feeds off of that maybe that walk rate goes up a little bit mm-hmm. we don't take away too much of his hitterish feel uh candelario has seen a spike in that you you, you know nico goodrum when he keeps, he's got so much power and sometimes that's dangerous uh victor reyes is another young young player that we like jacoby jones has seen a has seen progress in that regard and the more players that we can surround our guys with and you get a torkelson up here and a green up here and that that like good at bat mentality over necessarily the all or nothing sellout approach. Um, I think you're going to find that's going to, that's going to create more runs, more runs equals more wins. Well, AJ, we appreciated the conversation, taking the time and talking to us again and uh, good luck. Awesome. Thank you. Do it again. Thank you, AJ. There you go. That's AJ Hinch, the Tigers manager. Dan and I'll hey. be back with more coming up next. 97 won the ticket. Tiger Talk. Here's Pat Caputo and Dan Dickerson. You know, at Double D, uh, pretty interesting conversation there with uh, A.J. Hinch. And uh, it's kind of interesting what he said about uh, analytics uh, compared to old school managing. Might be a little different than what people uh, think, just uh, based on it. I don't think it's just going to all be by some kind of template that's been written down. No. And I, and I do think, I mean, like he's, I mean, Kevin Cash is a great manager. Don't get me wrong. I do think they do go a little bit more by the book, obviously, than some other teams. But I do think that A.J. Hinch, and he stressed this right from day one, is going to blend analytics. You have to. You have to understand what the numbers are and what they can help you. Just giving the example of a particular batter matching up against a particular pitcher and how he throws and what this matchup has been in the past, all those things, but you have to, and this is where good managers come in. They know their players. They know what's going on in their lives every day. And even though that matchup may look good on paper and that guy's sitting on the bench waiting to pinch hit, you're not going to use him because you know, today it's just, it, 
it, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like he's right or it might be hurting, whatever it is, but that's a good manager. And you know, I think he will blend the two, and I think he's got a, a real, real knack and ability to do that. You know, I was thinking about this a lot today, and it, it, this isn't meant as any disrespect to Tony LaRussa. But just thinking, is that an ideal manager in 2021 for a team and all that? Obviously, he's in the Hall of Fame, all those things. I was thinking, no, I think actually the Tigers have the best manager in baseball. I mean that sincerely. I think arguably that A.J. Hinch, you know, you can always make an argument on that, is the best manager in baseball. And the Tigers are fortunate to have him. And I mean that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I agree. you know, how much difference can a manager make? You know, because there's no wins above replacement for managers. Bill James, I read his book a couple times on managers. And it basically says, well, he's got to have a real good feel, like everybody else says about other stuff that Bill James doesn't like people saying about players. Well, and I think what Bill James has come around to through the years is, while it may be hard to measure the value of a manager in terms of wins that he Wins above above uh, average manager or yeah. wins above replacement manager, which have you ever exist. seen? A, have you ever seen a metric on managers? No, he's tried, and he. But his point was, over the course of a, a day or a week, a manager is literally going to make hundreds of decisions, whether it's filling out the lineup and putting this guy in the two slot or the seven spot uh, or the three spot. All the way down to every single thing he decides to do or not do during the course of a game, but leading up to a game, the conversations that he has. He says the cumulative effect is you can't tell me that a manager doesn't have an impact yeah. when he's making all of these decisions, big and small, all day long, and these relationships with players. And that's why I think it's, it, it's very subjective in, in rating managers. But the good ones figure out a way to get the most out of each individual player understand their strengths and weaknesses, put them in the best position to succeed. And again, it's very hard to measure, but I think you know it when you see it. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, Jim Leland was an example of that. You know, I mean, one of the things that was very noticeable to me um, down through the years uh, was uh, yeah, I was a beat writer when Sparky was a manager, the last 10 years that he was here. And then, you know, Buddy Bell came in and then a, a string of managers, some of them with some experience, some not so much. And they're all great baseball people in, in each instance. I mean, people who, you know, you respect their spot in the game. But none of them were like Sparky as a manager from what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? Until Leland came in. And there was a massive difference between Leland and those who, who preceded him. Uh, so, like, if you were to look at metrics and analytics, a lot of things instinctively Jim Leland did that fit into that equation. Instinctively. Mm-hmm. You know, based on, you know, he was, he was the only uh, person in the dugout in 1970 when he had his first job at Lakeland in high A ball. You know? Uh, you know the best story Jim Leland ever told? I know you love these Jim Leland stories, don't you, Dan? <laughs> well, he's, he's talking one day. Nothing he, better. He says, <laughs> he says his first year managing, they had roving pitching coaches then. They had like three coaches in the entire organization for the minor leagues. Not a coaches at different levels. Three for the entire, and they would rotate around. And the pitching coach was John Grodzicki, this old school coach from I can't, I can't even describe what John Grodzicki was like. You'd have to see him. It was the classic, you know, like a Saturday evening post uh, cover of a, a baseball coach from back in the day. I mean, honestly. So John Grodzicki comes down, and Jim Leland, in a situation, it's like the third or fourth inning, asks him, well, he says, hey, what would you do here? 
And John Grodzicki goes and sits on the other end of the dugout and says, that's your job. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? But Jim Leland would do things that if you went and you looked by the numbers, even though he wasn't looking at the numbers and the details that they would have now, that he wouldn't do. The one difference, I think. Like bad Don Kelly second in, you know, game five of the ALDS against the Yankees. Yeah, that worked, <laughs> but hitting Quentin Berry second in the World Series didn't. But he, I think he got a little confused about that second in the order thing that LaRusa was doing. He hit Marcus Thames there and other guys. Uh, when actually the, the, the logic behind it is, uh, you know, Tom Tango, uh, uh, the, uh, he's a sabermetician from Canada who's got a pseudonym. Uh, you know, he wrote a book called The Book on Baseball. And in that, that was the first time I saw, it was like 2007, about the second hole being the most important in the lineup where it comes up in a key spot more than any portion in the lineup over an extended period. Um, but actually, LaRusse started doing that first, but he put power guys in there, you know, instead of what he would have knowing that information. There are certain things, you know, that are a little bit different. Uh, Tony LaRusso was the first to put uh, somebody in the second spot more than others. Again, probably out of an instinct, more than, mm-hmm. you know, an analytics uh, department type of uh, situation, just observing inning after inning, game after game after game. I think the one difference, though, Dan, would be uh, pitching. You know, uh, Jim Leland's philosophy was give me the seventh inning with the starter. He always wanted JV or anybody else, Scherzer, Fister, whoever else was out there, uh, to give him that seventh inning. Now, they want that five, and they want to bring in the bullpen. You know, that's the difference, the way they handle it. But, you know, Jim Leland never really seemed to have a bullpen that was set up, and he managed his bullpen extraordinarily well under the circumstances going back to when he worked in Pittsburgh. So, yeah. I think Tony La Russa, you know, it's interesting. I've gone back and forth on this. But the, the, with the assembled talent that the White Sox have put together yeah, and his experience and uh, what's the book, Three Nights in August? Um, yes, I re- yes, which is a terrific book. I mean, this is a very analytical guy, and even if he might not embrace all of the analytics that every team now has in terms of the analysis and the suggestions for the lineup, uh, I, he's he's pretty sharp, and I think yeah. he will use it more than he has certainly in the past. He's been out of the game what ten years, right? But I, I just think he's he's extremely smart about the tools at his disposal and will understand that there are more tools at his disposal. He looked at numbers. You know, they just didn't, you know, they were kind of more traditional numbers and matchups and putting together a lineup. But this is a guy who really, really thinks about everything, and he's got a reason for every move. And I think with the talent that he has, and I think he's smart enough to know he's got to use some of the new tools and new analytics, I think he's going to be a really terrific manager for the White Sox. I really do. Yeah. But the one thing that I think Tiger fans should be comfortable with is that they have a manager who is going to be pretty much equal every night to whoever's in that other dugout. Their talent may not be at this point, but I think their manager is. You know, I mean, they got an opportunity to get A.J. Hinch, and getting him was huge, man. It was. Long-term, could be short-term. There could be a lot of different things, but it was huge. And that – and Gardy, you got to give Gardy credit. Gardy grinded it through for a few years there for the Tigers. He did. Under very difficult circumstances. There's a lot of credit for that. And, uh, you know, it's been a tough few years, but I don't know. This year, I wonder if you'll see, you know, that 
that speck of light at the end of the tunnel that I think we've all started to see a little bit, you know, start to get a little bigger now uh, as it goes forth. I think it's an important year, uh, transition year for the Mm -hmm. Tigers. And the division, other than the White Sox, is a little more palatable. You know, Cleveland has not made the moves, you know, to try to match the White Sox. They've done the opposite with Lindor and Carrasco not there anymore. Uh, The Twins are just kind of in a standing pool like everybody else right now. And, uh, you know, I think the Tigers Royals have been somewhat aggressive, right? They've seen an opportunity here. But I I still think the Tigers will match up pretty well with them. I do, too. I do, too. I think the Royals have made some impressive moves this offseason. I think I I still think I agree with you. I still think they're pretty equal. Um, So for Tiger fans, I mean, it's like, okay, so how do you judge whether this team is better? And I talked about this under Gardenhire. It never really came to fruition. But just that how they play the game and the tightness that A.J. Hinch is going to demand in terms of defensively and all the little things that, that add up to wins. Um, I, I think he will make a stamp on this team. He's, he's already talked about how we're going to do a drill in spring training, and if it's not done right, and if it's Cabrera and it's Boyd on simple pitcher's fielding practice, we'll do it again. And we'll get, we're just going to do it until, until we get it right. It's not punishment, but I think he's got a very specific idea of how he wants these guys to play, and I loved hearing him talk about how how do you know when you're – emphasis on changing the culture and fostering a winning attitude. Right. That's kind of a, such a subjective thing. How do you know when it's clicking? He said, I hear it in their voices now, but it'll all be about how they show it on the field, spring training, and then obviously into the regular season. Well, we've seen it for a number of years. Uh, baseball, it's every day, every day, every day, every day. You don't get a day or two to, you know, to regroup. You don't get a whole week to regroup and practice. You know, it's every day. You lose on Friday night. Saturday comes, you got to play on Saturday night, and then Sunday you got to get up for a day game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if the White Sox are in town and Tim Anderson's gone eight for eight, he's going to be up again the next day. <laughs> All right? And, uh, you know, uh, Bray, you know, he hit three home runs uh, in the first two games of the series. Uh, he's going to be ready to hit, uh, you know, four and five in game. You know, I mean, that's just the way it is. So, yeah, that is where sometimes you could see the you know the air go out of the balloon, mm-hmm. and you know you got younger players who are somewhat overmatched. They might be not experienced enough yet, or they might not be good enough. Uh, the organization struggling to try to find the right players. Well, right now I think you're starting to see a little more talent here, and uh, you know can they mold that talent into uh, maybe stem some of that bleeding? That'll be a key I think this year. I do. I think there's a lot of work going on right now. I think AJ has been contacting. I know he has been because we talked in November uh, for uh, I think it was the 1901 Society, just an hour long conversation. But just the little things that he does, like texting Isak Paredes after a big night uh, in the Mexican Winter Leagues. Right. Uh, you heard him. He's on top of the stats for Candelario and Soto in the Dominican Winter League in the playoffs right now. Um, I mean, he's really reaching out to these guys and letting them know that he's, you know, he's watching, he's encouraging, he's got ideas, but more than anything, he said, I'm listening. I'm listening to what they're telling me about their season. I've got some ideas and seen some things, but, and that, that's just so valuable. You're going to have that real sound foundation because of all the work he's done, connecting with players, talking to players, listening to players so that there's a nice blueprint going into spring training that they can work off of. And I'm, 
That's why I'm glad spring training's starting on time. There's a lot of work to be done. They've got a lot of ideas, and they want to get going. We'll talk more Tigers, more baseball coming up next. It's Tiger Talk, 97.1 The Ticket. Tiger Talk. Here's Pat Caputo and Dan Dickerson. You know what, Double D, uh, you look at the Tigers, and you see pretty much every spot you have an idea who may play where and what. But the, the one position that's really, really wide open and here we are after the f- turn of the year and all that is is catcher. You know, it really we, is. You know, where, where do you anticipate uh, the Tigers going here? Still seems like I mean, and it's not. I mean, the the free agent catchers. I mean, it's been McCann and uh, J T. Romuto, right? Are the two the two biggest names, and there's a pretty steep fall off after that. Uh, I still think they go out and maybe sign somebody. But my, just reading some of the comments and talking with AJ, I've had a chance to interview him three different times this offseason. He really, I think he really wants Jake Rogers to take that role. And that he feels like, even though 2020, you could argue, was a lost season for him, he never got called up. Uh, it just seems like he really wants to give him that shot. Right. I know he reached out to him early. Um uh, he told him, you've got the intangibles, you've got the skills to play this position and be the, the number one guy, and now it's about performance at the major league level. But I think he really feels like there, there's something there. And does that mean he's going to go into the camp as the number one guy? No. I just get the feeling that they would really like to give him every chance to prove that he could be that guy. I still think if they sign somebody, it's more of a share of the role uh, type of situation. I mean, if, let's say you signed an Alex Avila. That that wouldn't be a bad signing, but you're not going to make him your number one catcher. Yeah, He's going to draw walks, hit the occasional home run, and he's he made himself into a pretty darn good defensive catcher. Um, Jason Castro is still out there. You know, we talked about Austin Romine last week. That wouldn't be bad. But again, in a reserve role, I think they're going to give Rodgers that chance. I don't know if he can do it. I mean, the hitting obviously is the big question mark, and his defense is obviously what, what will keep him in the major leagues when he gets there. But it, that wasn't very good because of his struggles at the plate in 2019. But I think that's just something to keep an eye on. Just listening to some of the comments and reading the comments uh, of A.J. talking about Jake Rogers, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Spring training is going to determine a lot in that position. Yeah, they didn't even, it seemed like, think about bringing him into the major leagues last year. Not yeah. at all. And uh, Which I thought was somewhat unusual. Um, the other thing, too, about the, the circumstance with Jake Rogers. Uh, he can catch and throw. I've seen that. But, you know, there there would be a case for uh, Alex Avila in that role. And uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, Alex Avila, one thing he does, and I'd have to check what he's done last year and, and you know, recently, but his pitch framing is outstanding. Um, and that little bit, you know, could help a younger staff. I think Absolutely. that's something that you need to look at if everything's equal. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't, you know, Alex is, you know, he's, he's, he's spent a lot of years squatting behind the plate now and he's taken a, you know, the, the physical toll of it. So I don't know how much he actually has left, you know, as a hitter and, you know, as a difference making player, which at times he was. Um, but the one thing he can do at this point is still, I think, is pitch frame, mm-hmm. you know, and what his arm is like. I mean, that would all have to go into you know, the equation of what you're going to do. Romine, I really like his, his attitude and things. You know, but he's similar to Jake Rogers. It's just not a, uh, you know, on the same level when it comes down to, hey, man, this dude's going to swing, you know? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I, 
uh, you know, maybe he'll, if he connects, he'll hit it, you know, and he'll connect more than somebody like Jake Rogers might. So, and Jake Rogers is a little advanced for, you know, he's a college kid, went to Tulane and all that. But one advantage he may have, we didn't have, you know, an extended amount of time. I could have asked A.J. Hinch literally a thousand questions a night um, about things. But the one thing that uh, I didn't get a chance to ask him, he does have a history with Rogers. He would know something about him Mm -hmm. from his time with the Astros. He'll know something about Franklin Perez. Uh, Daz uh, Cameron's been hurt, but he'll know something about those players. He will. He will, and he's he's talked about it. You know, I feel for the catchers who have to play for me. <laughs> yeah, because you know, playing for for an ex catcher, and I've got a lot of ideas. But uh, I think he really wants to work with Jake Rogers to get him to to that number one spot, or at least to take on the bulk of the duties, even if it's not every day. It could be a split this year. I mean, I wouldn't forget about Grayson Griner. I just feel, unfortunately, Grayson Griner's just not been able to develop enough with the bat. Yeah, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's um, he's, he's all, and he's all right defensively, but he's not going to. You know, the, the thing is, uh, too, I'll, I'll say this. If you want to watch the game and, you know, uh, nuance things, watch the catchers today, the way they play, the way they pitch frame, how they're into every pitch, how every pitch means something, you know, to the catcher. And uh, when you watch it, you watch somebody like, uh, he's not a great player, but he's a great catcher. It's Barnhart, you know, the kid is Cincinnati. You know, how he sets up, what he does, how he plays it. Uh, you watch Perez. You know, uh, you watch the really great catchers in the game. Obviously, Molina down through the years. The way they go about their business, uh, especially today. Uh, it's it's really a part of the game that if you, if you get into it a little bit, you see the importance of that. And uh, they need to develop. And I don't know if Dingler is going to be the answer there down the road. He's a, certainly a very good athlete. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that. He has the athletic ability. I don't know what the hit tool is going to project at the major leagues. Nobody really does, but there's a possibility with it. And there's some others, you know, uh, in their organization. But, you know, that's probably the primary hope right now. And uh, they have to develop a catcher at some point. They do. And I I think Rodgers right now and then obviously Dingler. But because of the importance of these young pitchers, Developing. That's right. Uh, you're, I, I would not be surprised at all. And really, wouldn't you expect that they would go out and add one of these free aging catchers? Like like Alavilo said, it's kind of the same names every winter, but still there's going to be value in, in having somebody like that. None of them right now would project, I don't think, other than maybe a Jason Castro, to be a number one guy. But part of a platoon, I think one of those guys is, is probably going to – I think Tigers would sign one of those guys before spring training or during spring training. Yeah, but I think the main consideration isn't going to be what the guy's OPS is. No, it's going to be his defensive skills. His defensive skills, particularly pitch framing, yep. because that would really help out their young staff. And uh, it's such an important part of the game. It's, you know, it's, hard, to, it, it's hard to define. It's, it, it's hard to even measure. It's hard to watch, you know. It, you know, like James McCann, I appreciate James McCann so much as a player and what he's done and the contract that he got. Everybody in his town would tell you that they're happy that. But he's, he couldn't get out of the habit of eventually stabbing at the ball. You know what I'm saying? Right. And uh, he's really, like Alex Avila, is complete opposite, you know, and these other catchers. And he's gotten a lot better Yes. about James McCann. Yes, he, you know, I mean, he's going to work at it. That's the one thing. That's why he's James McCann, you know. That's what makes him a little bit different, you know. So... Those are the circumstances. But Dan, as always, man, this like goes by like way too radio. fast. Yes. <laughs> and uh, appreciate it, uh, A.J. Hinch, talking to us. Uh, 
Pistons Weekly is coming up next with me. And uh, Dan, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> All right. Next Thursday. Yes. 97 won the ticket.